This is Ari Koretsky and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know. And we are back with another fabulous episode of Jews You Should Know. Is there a Jew you should know in your life that you'd like to highlight, give a shout out on this show, perhaps honor for a special occasion? Message Jews You Should Know at gmail.com. That's Jews You Should Know at gmail.com for a great introductory rate in doing just that. As well, a reminder about dailygiving.org, the incredible charitable aggregator bringing together only $1 a day for people all over the world in support of incredible, vetted, verified organizations doing the work that so many of us support in a wide variety of industries in our Jewish community. Dailygiving.org, please give them a look today and donate that $1 in perpetuity that will make all the difference. Very excited for today's guest, continuing with our series on the OU's Impact Accelerator today, speaking with Tamar Nussbaum, the founder of the Ani Tefila organization. She is doing revolutionary work in educating young students about the importance and strategies to enhance tefillah or Jewish prayer. I was very moved by her work and imagine that you will be as well. And again, we're continuing this four-part series on the Orthodox Union's Impact Accelerator. Meanwhile, a reminder is always to follow us on social media at Jews You Should Know. Spell that fully on Instagram and Facebook. Jews You Should Know with the letter U on Twitter. Comments or questions as mentioned a bit earlier. Jews You Should Know at gmail.com. That goes for highlighting your friends or family as well. Subscribe or follow wherever you may be listening. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google, wherever you may be getting your shows. Please tell others to do the same as well. And now to our conversation with Ani Tafila founder and OU Impact Accelerator awardee, Tamar Nussbaum. We are here with Tamar Nussbaum, founder of the Ani Tafila project, which is part of the OU's accelerator incubator project, part of our series. We're highlighting some amazing founders of different organizations. How are you, Tamar? Baruch Hashem, we are good. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful to have you. And uh, as we do with all of our guests, tell us a little bit about where you are from. As we say, take it from the top. Okay. I live in Farakaway, Queens. Oh. I grew up here. And when I, um, when I got married, I moved to Lakewood for 10 years. And then I moved back to Farakaway, where I presently still, where I, where I live. Okay, well, now uh, you said Far Rockaway, we're going to have to d- delve deeper because my wife is from Far Rockaway and I go there all the time. So uh, where, which street, uh, you know, which area of Far Rockaway do you live on? So do you know where Rabbi Rubin is, the young Israel? I know exactly, on Beach 9th, absolutely. Okay, good. So the, I live on Roosevelt Court. On Roosevelt Court. So the, my wife is very close with the Travis family, if you know them. Uh, sure. She grew up, Ruchi was her very, very close friend growing up. Uh, and my in-laws live on Empire Avenue, a few, uh, about a block away from the White Jewel, right across from Reed's Lane. So uh, sure. very, sure. very, very nice. So you were there your whole life. I assume you went to tag growing up. Correct. Okay. And then you left and came back. And um, Farakwe is a great place, a wonderful, wonderful community. Um, so what was your early childhood like? And what was or some of your early influences? Okay. So I went to tag and um, I love to learn but I was not an overly studious student. Um, and um, when I graduated, I went to seminary in Israel, a seminary that's not existing today. It's called Machon Devora. When I came back, my uh, f- principal from Tag Elementary School, Mrs. Hyman Nadav, she um, recognized certain uh, qualities that she thought would work very well um, for me. And she offered me a position as a teacher in Tag. Um, I was geo president in uh, elementary school, so she knew me a little bit from there too, not just from the classroom. And, um, and she really brought me into the world of Chinuch. I never thought or imagined myself in it. I didn't really know where I was, what I was going to do when I came back from seminary, but she offered me this job. So I said, let's give it a try. Well, it's interesting I, that you said you yourself were not such a strong student. And yet she, she saw you as a 
prospective teacher. Correct, because it's not only um, knowledge, which of course you need and have to have, but um, maybe there, not maybe, there definitely are other qualities. I just don't like to talk about myself in that sense, but there needs to be love for the children. There needs to be passion for Yiddishkeit. There needs to be organizational skills, um, the ability to speak to parents. Um, and um, I guess she saw some of those qualities. Um, so uh, I, was, I was thrilled to partake and become a teacher. And I walked into the classroom. I felt like I am home. Um, I'll never forget those first few days when I went in and the children were alive and they were singing, it wasn't just singing, their faces were bright. They were lit with, with a light and with an excitement. And um, that's how my career in Chinuch started. You were obviously not teaching uh, high schoolers. <laughs> correct, correct. It, I don't think high school students would mind this either. That's the truth. They like passion. They like excitement. They like real. They like when things are real, not put on, not overly. Some children like stress and like the competition and like the studies. But there are a lot that don't that doesn't always talk to the children. Yeah, when you talk about uh, bright, bright eyes, you know, I picture more, you know, my teenagers waking up in the morning and you know, <laughs> dragging themselves and, you know, barely uh, getting, getting themselves to school. But well, um, we don't want it that way. We want it another way. That is true. I, that, that is absolutely true. So you, you started out with elementary school children and I, I guess just teaching conventional classroom um you know educational work um what was it what was it like for you when you first started was it difficult was it it sounds like it was a natural like a fish in water it sounds like it was you were, you were a natural fit it, it really was it was fascinating it was exciting it was exhilarating and um i was swimming i was diving i was jumping it, it, jumping in it was just really really wonderful after teaching in tech for two years, I got married and then I went to Lakewood where I taught in Deal. And I also then went to Betzal El Hebrew Day School. Um, I taught Lashon for grade six through eight there. Um, and then I came back to New York. Um, when I Just was to pause you for a second, Deal, for those you know unfamiliar, is, is all a community of Syrian Jews. Um, so what was that experience like teaching a, a totally different demographic? Nice. It was very nice because a neshama is a neshama. <laughs> so it doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter how diverse the backgrounds may be. When you can touch a neshama, it just, it, it works. Torah works. Amazing. Did you have to employ different kinds of techniques and did you have to change your pronunciations to be more uh, culturally co conversant? <laughs> yes, they like it. They take a lot of pride and they should in their heritage and they want that to continue within their children. So it's important to them. And, and um, I certainly respect and agree with that. So that, but it wasn't challenging. It was, it was very, you know, easy and um, smooth. So it was nice. Beautiful. So eventually you, you migrated back to the uh, Farakwe area where you had grown Correct. up. And uh, so you, I guess you, did you go right back into your native teaching environment? I actually did not. Um, I did some real estate. Interesting. That's a, that's quite a switch. <laughs> it was perfect for me at that time. I was able to stay home and with my children. I had flexibility, but I did not have the seapok, the inner um, satisfaction of reaching out to children in Klal Yisrael and making an impact in the way that teaching can. So. Um, when I, when I really felt that I wanted to move on and living here in Farakway, there are more opportunities often in terms of Chinuch than you have in, in New Jersey, in the area in Lakewood where I lived. Um, I went to help. And so when you say I, more opportunities, you mean that there's more of a, a slightly greater diversity of within sort of the Orthodox community and, and various schools, there's more diversity. There's some more modern Orthodox type schools or centrist Orthodox and, and things of that nature. Well, no, what I really mean is that at that time when I was teaching, it, it, there was a, we were, the market was flooded and everyone wanted to teach. So there were just that many jobs. People could reach out and go to all different types of communities if they wanted to travel. But, um, and if that was what I would have wanted to do, I would have tried for, to get positions in two, but I didn't want to travel. So that wasn't applicable to me. 
But when I came here, there were many different opportunities because there were, weren't as many young women going into the field of chinuch. So, um, so that's what brought me here. And then I applied to help. And um, also it was like I was home. It was fantastic. It was a great experience. I taught third grade for about seven years, six years. And then I taught uh, junior high school um, for three years. And then I moved on to Shalamis. Um, they were all, they were just fantastic experiences. I, I loved it. When I was in Shalamis, a former assistant principal, Rabbi Kalman Fogel, approached me and said that there is a organization, there's an organization called the Consortium of Jewish Day Schools that is looking for someone to write up assessments on Lashon HaKodesh skills. He remembered from when I taught in Halb that I um, had made up assessments which were not like basic multiple, multiple choice questions or Elizabeth matching questions. They were games so that the children wouldn't feel that they're being assessed and there wouldn't be a pressure. And in today's day and, day and age, especially in the school system, we hear a lot that parents don't want our children to be pressured anymore. So we talk to them. And he asked me if I would be interested to do something like that. And um, in conjunction with my job at Shalamis, I said, sure, I'm ready because I just married off my third daughter. <laughs> we have to take on something else. Um, so for one year, I worked on, um, I went to three different schools out here, you know, really on the island. And I spoke with teachers to find out what they were doing. At the end of the year, um, based on the feedback that they were giving me, based on their knowledge, based on the system, based on the sheets that I gave them with exercises, which were more, in, more like games to do with the children to try to assess them, I felt that to just give assessments to teachers was um, a disservice. It was a disservice to them and to the students because there was no system that would teach skills so that the teachers know what to teach and the children know what's expected of them. Um, a lot of skills are not known. Teachers don't really know what they are, like a vavahipoch. How does that really work? And if there isn't that knowledge, it's just that much harder to give it over. And you were specifically that. trying to give over sort of the, the finer points of Hebrew grammar and sort of the, the, the language that they would need for decoding Jewish texts. Correct. That was what was being asked of me. But at the end of the year, after, um, like I said, going through the, the system within three schools, I just spoke to, to the people from the organization that I was involved with. I said, this is not fear. And like I said, it's a disservice because you can't, like if I would say to a teacher, okay, I'm going to assess your class now on um, algebra and you're responsible to teach it to them, but I'm not giving you a textbook. Where do the teachers begin? And how do they follow up? And how do they reinforce? And what should they start with? So I, rec I suggested starting a program in Chumash for starting with the second grade, which is when they receive their Chumash, that will teach them the skills from within the text, a system that will build from year to year and will be reinforced in a very user-friendly way. But the system that I with Hashem's help developed was not based on just skills. It was based on giving the children tools to be able to understand the language so they will love learning Torah and they won't feel it's Chinese. Because if it's Chinese, you won't get me to sit there for a half hour, not even for a minute, to sit and to learn. But if you understand the language, you can get into the depth of the Torah because it's familiar and because you can decode and you can have questions and you can understand the Rashi better. So the skills were taught, but it wasn't the main aspect of this Lahavinula Haskell program that um, I created. It was really to give them the love for Torah and everything that teachers were doing in the classroom for Chumash in terms of the storyline, in terms of role models, in terms of question answers. Um, in terms of Midos Tovos, a love for Eretz Yisrael, that was included and used to build a program that had a teacher's edition and had comments. And then we would pull the skills. We would say, in this Pasuk, you can learn the prefix, hey, and we will show them how it's used. And then we would try, we would continuously reinforce it. So what would that be an example of a way that you, know, you would incorporate you know, 
a fun lesson and, and somehow roll in a grammatical uh, or your more technical dry teaching. Okay. So there's chanting, there's singing, there's, um, you can have games in terms of like memory games, you have cards, you have children together, Bechavrusa. you say, can you figure this out? Can you become a spy? You put on um, spy glasses and a spy hat and see what you can, I spy, what do you see on this page or in this Pasuk, et cetera. Um, once that was developed, and it was about 10 years that I worked with that, I, I, one of the things, one of the aspects that we did was um, we had teacher training and we had follow-up. And without any question, hands down, the one comment and question that I kept on hearing over and over again was, I love what you did for Chomish, but there is nothing for tefillah out there. And for prayer. We, right, for prayer, exactly. The prayer, the way the children are learning to pray on, at the get-go, they're very excited. But I can't say they're excited because it's the sitter. They're excited because they have something that, that is their parents have, or they're getting something new, and there's a lot of you know, celebration for that. But to really understand its value, its potency, and the opportunity that it is, I'm not sure, because that initial excitement wears off. It doesn't last. And the children, it's like almost a fight for the teachers to get the children to pray, to get them to pray in school, certainly out of school. And it's, it's the children are disenchanted with prayer. And then it's a certain message that they get about Judaism, which is like, this is what Judaism is. I'm every day forced to stand, to sit, to recite, to say words I don't understand. I don't know who I'm speaking to. I don't know why I should be doing this. And it's a must. It has to be. So with that in mind, I said, um, that's a tall order to come up with a, <laughs> a system or a plan for tefillah that will impact the children in a way that they could connect to God and they will feel its opportunity. They will feel what a gift it is. They'll value it, that they'll want to do it with joy and with a passion. And I, th I think with prayer, you have multiple layers of obstacles, I think, because, you know, again, for, again, for American children, you have the language barrier, you know, an Israeli child obviously understands it from, you know, their mother's milk, but from, for an American child, there's the language barrier. So you don't know what you're saying. And then even if you know what you're saying, there's kind of what I would call more of the philosophical questions of, okay, what is this about? Why am I doing this? Why is it, you know, a fixed text? Who am I speaking to? How does it work? Does it work? All of those are layered in, you know, to the, the, the challenge of prayer. And I guess some of those are more, become more pronounced at an older age. And at a younger age, it's probably more of the, you know, the technical language barrier. And as children get older, they maybe understand more technically, but perhaps understand less philosophically. So you have both dual challenges operating, you know, at, at the same time. Correct. Correct. You also have the, the challenge of today's um, the world that we live in uh, social media, there's lack of emotional awareness there. It's more anxiety and depression. And these um, the emotional health of children today has based on maybe the way the world is, um, is, is really pervasive and it affects the children's ability to really pray with feeling. Why do you think so? Meaning, how does that, how does one impact the other? Because prayer is emotion. It's the heart. And if you're not aware of your feelings and you don't have emotional health, you have to discover yourself. You have to allow yourself to find out who you are and what you're all about. It takes time. And no matter what generation a person is living in, that is something to discover. But today's day and age, when you send a text and people have their social media friends via um, WhatsApp or via Facebook without ever really facing the person or talking to the person or seeing the expressions on their face or hearing the tone in their voice, there's first there's misinterpretation, which very often happens. From emails, how many times they say, don't send out an email if you, <laughs> you don't know how it's going to be taken. And the, we, there, there's just that 
that we we have learned that we have we're in a world where we can't really figure out how we're feeling and how to articulate and express our feelings. And we don't even know if we're quote allowed to, certainly in the male world. They think it's like, no, we can't show our emotions more than the women's world, but okay. That everyone has to work with whatever they've been given. Um, so that is a challenge also, because if you want Fila to be successful, the children and people in general have to be in touch with themselves. So you were, tasked with creating something that would help children understand prayer, tefillah, and also connect to it on an emotional level. And again, this was a bit of a, of a jump from the more, I would call it drier, more technical, structured world of learning the Torah, of learning Chumash, right? So what did you start to do to create this new program? Okay, so the first thing I did was I prayed. I said, okay, Hashem, I don't know what, how to do this. And I don't know if I'm going to be successful. I don't have time. And my budget doesn't allow for this either, but it's a necessity. We are losing Nishamot. We are losing souls and we have to bring them back. And I'm not getting any younger. So we must try to do something. So that's the first thing that I did. Um, then I started to look into the Svarim. I looked into what do our sages say? What does the Torah say? How can we have Kavana, focus, concentration, connection? What can we do? And I saw a tremendous amount of suggestions. And I'm like, why aren't we using them? Really what in the younger grades it seems to be, and every teacher tries to give passion and excitement over in Tefillah, they tell stories. They tell stories of our um, sage uh, giants in Torah who, who show to give over that feeling of what Tefillah is. But is that really resonating with the children? They'll try to role model it for the children. The children say, okay, that's for Mora, that's for Rebbe. It's not for me. You know, I, I just don't see myself praying like that. Um, what we, what, what we really worked on in this program is to, from based on what the Torah tells us, what tefillah is, it is a mindset and it's an emotional, it's an, it's an emotional place where we are at that is expressed through speech. We developed, it's called the stop, think, feel method which is there are three trigger words that if a child feels they have that, how do I concentrate? What should I do? Or as they're moving along in Tefillah, the teacher has the tools to say, let's stop. Let's remove distractions and focus. Let's think of one of two things. It can be either and, know before whom you're standing. Stop. Let's think about that. Or think of the meaning of the words, think of the translation of the words. And then the third step, which we give to the teacher to do and for the children to know is to feel. We can't just say, think of the translation of the world words and then assume, okay, tefillah is successful. No, it's not like that because then the children will just say, I just learned vocabulary words. We have to make it relevant and meaningful to them so that we teach them to feel when they hear, I have an ishama. Every morning, Hashem returns my soul to me. How do you feel about that? I feel holy. I feel lucky. I have a piece of God in me. Rather than what's happening a lot of times where I said, like the teachers are very into and want to give over that love and passion and joy and concentration so that one will have kavana. There's a lot of time spent and needed on enunciation, proper enunciation of the words, and also pointing, reciting, contests. We have to give another element to the way we're teaching tefillah, which is the feeling, the emotional part. Then that's through the stop, think, feel method that, that we've developed. It's interesting, just as you're talking, the word, it hit me that the word tefillah sounds like to feel. Correct. I, I, never, like, I never thought about that before. I actually wanted to make our logo with to feel. Ah, ah <laughs> to feel. Yeah, I never exactly. thought about that until you started saying that. I never thought about that. I said, I, I don't know, too cutesy. But yes, it's there. It's there. Every word is a reflection of, you know, certainly in Lashon HaKodesh of its essence. So uh, listen, even America, they say, Ami Reka. 
it's a uh, my nation is empty <laughs> so and Russia has its own explanation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. So how do you get young children to tap into what you're really describing as kind of an emotional depth? And m- many times, you know, children at a young age may not have developed that at all in, in any sense. Is this a way of actually generating that emotional depth? Or do, does somebody already need a sense of, you know, inner awareness in order to then tap into it as they're praying? It's really both. But we as the Mechanchem and Mechanchot have to instill and generate it within the children. They're too young, really, to develop it on their own. And we have to help them. So each step, each stage, stop, think, feel, is a life skill. And it's also, it's a work in progress. We don't necessarily expect that the next day, right away, they're able to remove distractions. We're referring to not just physical, we're talking about mental distractions. But we have to teach to the children that understanding that a mental distraction is something that's in your head and we have to control our mind so we could focus. Like when we throw a ball into a basketball hoop, we block everything out. We're just focused on getting that ball through the hoop. We have to teach these concepts and give them the ability and experiences to stop, remove distractions and focus. In our program, we have exercises that help the children do this. We're constantly saying stop, and we're constantly having activities for them to do this. Then we also have the think part. It's a work in progress. There are steps that everyone but that, that we take, but within this system, we have to understand it's baby steps. Start small, start, take small steps, and then eventually you build on it. So then we have the think and we have the feel part. Each of them like is a life skill and takes time. Some children, tefillah is something which is very, very personal. And that's something that we also teach in our program is that some children will like to sing and some children will find it distracting. Some children would like to sway back and forth and some children would like to stand. And one day you're going to pray one way and then the next day you say, well, I would like some music on or I'd like to sing this song. And the next day you're going to say, no way, not right now. I, I can't sing. So depending on the child, the type of soul that they have and their circumstances, their life situations, we as the teacher have to let them find their way to connect and give them their space. We can't say this is the only way to do it. But in the same time, at the same time, when you are especially teaching younger grades, there has to be a structure. So I'm not saying that just let everyone do whatever they want. We have to give them within the structure space so that they could discover and connect in their own way so that tefillah, prayer will be personal and very relevant to them. How do you create a program that is both structured and free-flowing, customizable, especially with young children? Okay, so we have, we when we give our teacher training, we'll say, okay, what do we do before tefillah? What do we do during tefillah? And what can we do after tefillah? So before tefillah, we work on preparing the mind. It's not a song. We work on everyone. Let's prepare our mind that we are standing before God. And we have, for example, different things that the teacher can choose to use. To She she or he can use one of them each morning um, or the same thing every day. It could be a diary where the child writes and it takes about a minute or two, but writes, who is God? God is, and they just fill in great. They could write, he's the king. They could write, he's the master. They could write, he's scary. They could write, he's, he's, he loves me. He created the world. And then they could write more details that in every detail of my life, God is involved. Um, we have, that's part of preparation where we suggest to have a diary, which we have with three entries. We have Niflo Tabori videos where we, we show the children the wonders of creation. Everything is based on Torah, where they say, if you meditate and you think about the beautiful world that God created, you will connect to him when you're going to pray. So what the children, they're sitting in the classroom. How are they going to do that? So we have um, Niflo's Habori videos, which are available for free online on our website. And the teacher shows them a two-minute video of something magnificent in the world, volcanoes, the solar system. But the key is at the end of the video is to connect it to God that we're talking to him and we could talk to him. It's not just to show to them a magnificent rose. So there's a system and there's a structure. 
there's a pause, there's this moment of silence where we think of a stop, think, feel um, particular thought. Um, during tefillah, we also have things to do. And then after tefillah are the actual lessons, which we recommend we have to give the meat to the children. So we divide up what are we teaching to the children into two groups. One is the philosophy. What is the value of tefillah? Why do we daven? Why should we want to daven? Does Hashem need our tefillot? If I can't see him, how do I know he's listening, etc.? These are questions that the children can't necessarily articulate and they don't necessarily think of it on their own at this age. But if we present it to them and we show to them clear answers, it strengthens their tefillah in ways that they have a foundation for connection that's for life. So maybe you can simulate for me a, uh, an exercise. Pretend I'm a, I'm a child in the, in the classroom. What would we do? Uh, we're opening up the, the text. We're going through it. You would say, I would maybe watch this video about, you know, the, the grandeur and beauty of nature, connect that to God. Then it's time to start actually praying. How do we get a restless, impetuous child to really focus and you know, remove distractions and get in touch with their emotional inner selves? What would a concrete exercise be? Okay. So one of the things I'll, I'll just take the Dalif name Ata Omeid. Okay. We'll just take... This phrase where we want the children to die, they should have the reality of knowledge, which is, I know my hand is my hand. I know my name is Tamar Nusbam. I know I'm standing before God. It's not like I just read something, I know something, and I can spit back the information. There's a reality and a clarity, a clarity. So let's take those words. So we should know with clarity that we're standing before God. Now, every word is precise. So let's take the word omade, that I'm standing before God. So I'll say to the children, everyone stand up. And everyone stands up. We're going to do a stop, think, feel exercise. Let's stop, remove distractions and focus. Like when you drive a car, you look straight at that highway. You're not going to move your head to the sides and start reading all the signs. Hopefully not. You're not going to be text, texting. Hopefully not. We're very focused. And let's think. I am standing before God. After the children do that, and we give them a moment to experience that, I'll say to them, now everyone sit down. And everyone sits down and I say, we're going to do a stop, think, feel exercise. While I'm doing that, I just have to mention that child in the back of the room, I'm not going to say the name because I don't want that person to feel uncomfortable. But the way he stood before God, there was holiness in him. Or I'll say something complimentary. I saw concentration. I saw respect. So there's reinforcement also. Then we say, okay, is everyone sitting? Let's stop. Remove distractions and focus. Let's think. I am sitting before Hashem. After that's done, we're going to ask the children, what was the difference? How did you feel when you were standing versus when you were sitting? And you're going to have answers like, when I was sitting, it was relaxing. It was, I felt chilled. And you're going to have when you say, oh, maid, when I was standing, I felt vulnerable. And you're going to get many different answers, which is great because we don't want the same answers. We want the children to experience the presence of God the way it talks to them. Not the way it talks necessarily to the other person. It has to resonate within them. So you'll have some children will say, I feel scared. I feel respectful. I feel I want to stand up and give praise like by a standing ovation. When we know that if someone like in the army, when they take roll call, we stand at attention. There are different feelings. So we teach the children that when we are before God, we're always standing that's the Amida. That's the Shemona Esrei. We don't sit. It's not a sitting experience. And I once had even a teacher said to me, I like it when I sit. I feel like I concentrate better. And that brings you to the next level of saying, is that the way we should be before God? You want to say you want to sit in front of a, a, a TV. Okay. You know, that's one thing. But God is a standing experience. Then you act, you talk, you, everything you do is different. That's one example. And I could give you a lot more, but that's one. Fabulous. Uh, I, that's, uh, I, I wanted to do that because it really 
brings the power and the drama to life. Um, and, and I felt myself, you know, uh, wishing I had experienced prayer that way because it's really, it really does uh, vivify it. So tell me, about, you created this program and then what happened? What was the reception? And somehow this got the attention, I guess, of, uh, of some larger institutional players in the Jewish community. Absolutely. So um, when I started the program, we started with five pilot schools and then it was time that we wanted to expand. And I absolutely also, like I said, pray, come on, (laughs) time, energy, knowledge. I never ran a business. Um, I never ran a not-for-profit organization and just see what happened. Try. So um, actually the OU Impact Accelerator was having applications. You could apply for an application and um, you can tell them about your venture and see if they feel it's a worthwhile venture to invest in. How did you know about it? It was through one of the magazines. Okay, there you go. They're they're getting a good ROI there on their uh, advertising dollars. We're not going to tell you, make you say which magazine it was and where the placement did the best, but uh, you saw an advertisement, you just applied. And I applied. I, I really worked hard on it. It was a, um, a serious application. I never, ever applied for a grant or ever. So I had no idea what it was like. Um, I spent hours with my husband just sitting over. I asked a friend who's a good writer to help us. Also, we had to get a lot of our thoughts together with some of our goals, our missions, our budgets, things that were just flying all over the place. And we would stop, think, and feel. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, And then we applied. And um, slowly but surely, we went through each process until the pitch night. When I pitched at night, I felt as I was talking to the crowd, to me, I felt like there were 250 people there. They would know better than me, but we had a large audience. But before I got up, I was like very, very nervous. But once I got into it, there was such an energy in the room. It was like I could touch it. It was amazing. I felt that yearning in every single soul in that room that's we must do something for prayer. It's one of the pillars that upholds the world, just like Torah, just like doing kindnesses, chesed. We need it to hold up this world. And somehow that pillar seems to be crumbling. What can we do? Children are disenchanted. Every child, every person there could say, what is prayer? It seems boring. I don't hear connection. Is God listening to me? Why should I? And Yet, through hearing this and feeling it in the audience, they want to figure it out because they want to connect. Every soul wants to go back to its source and wants to connect. That's how it started to really take off. And they were the hug from God that really I was looking for. And I'll always have a karatato to them for that. Um, they got me going, they helped, then we, th- there was exposure from them. And then we reached out to a lot of schools, people, thank God, know of me from the Chumash program that I developed and found that that program, the system, the organization, the follow-up, the teacher training that I personally would offer, gave them a lot of encouragement. I remember the teachers finally felt like someone's there that I could talk to. And when it comes to Tfila, I am my own organization, meaning I'm not connected with anyone so that anyone from any background can approach me. And also I'm not a threatening person. I'm an objective person and I'm here to serve and to help. So whatever you is really on your mind, you can share and talk and ask. And then with God's help, we collaborate, we come up with strategies and we hope to see success. I do have to tell you that we're in our fourth year. We have close to 60 schools using the program now. Um, It is incredible. We have video tefillah lessons that are beyond incredible. Help is using it now. And they, the principal went in and was just asking the children, so tell me, what do you like? What did you find about the videos that, And I just met the principal on Shabbos and he says, I just want to tell you that one fourth grader said to me, just know that any amount that you're spending on this purchase, on this program is worth it. 
Wow. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. It was, it was fantastic. Sounds like you have a fourth grade marketing specialist. You can <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It was really something. But the response is we have contests where they write me their answers and I answer them back. And there's a monthly raffle. They make digital versions of scrapbooks. They, they make their own personal scrapbooks, actual ones. I just have from BYQ. They sent me a picture of their girls doing it. It's just absolutely amazing. It's amazing. And I had an out of town school, which has, they, they are, they're looking, their, their registration is so low. They, they can't get teachers. They just can't get teachers and they don't have curriculum. And when they heard that I was there and I gave teacher training to their teachers to show to them how to use the program, it gave them such encouragement where we, we feel like we are cloud Israel. We are one. We are here to help each other. Some people will have the arm and some people will be a foot and some people will be a head. But with all our pieces, different pieces and types and backgrounds, we come together where uh, and you feel it as you work in this type of a field. And it's, it's absolutely fascinating. But more than anything is that we are seeing a shift a revolution in the way children and teachers are teaching and experiencing tefillah in that it's a mind skill. It's a mindset that you have to stop, think and feel. And this is bringing real connection into the children to the extent that a teacher from Manhattan day school, she said to me, my students go home and on Sunday on Shabbat, they want to pray on their own. Incredible. Do you feel like there's a, a broad range or a diversity of the schools that are, are using the materials? And is there any difference in the way that it's being received or in the needs of a particular subset of people using it and, you know, boys versus girls and different streams of within the community? Is there any differentiation there? Yes, there is. The core and the essence of the program is the same. It's the stop, think and feel. There is one God. We identify, relate to him all in the same way based on the names that he has. If he's a rachum, he was compassion, compassion, etc. But there are, it's, it's an amazing experience that I'm seeing and I'm finding is that the diverse types of schools that are using the program are pulled into it because there is a new aspect to tefillah, which nobody ever thought of. Um, but like, let's say, um, this is amazing. We had somebody from the Hasidish world, someone where all the children speak Yiddish, um, see the program and say, we have to translate it. We have six schools using the program now in Yiddish, six Hasidish schools. It is, and it also each, yeah, every group, there's something to love, Spardim, we're in Hillel and Deal, and there's just, each one has a passion, and each one is saying to me, Tfila is really important to us. I'm like, yup. <laughs> like, Spardim, this is Tfila, that's us. And the Hasidim, especially by the girls, Tfila is us, etc. So you have this throughout, but in the Hasidic world, the workbooks are in Yiddish and the images were changed to more Hasidic boys or girls. Some of the language they wouldn't use the way some, you know, they're, they're more insulated. So some of the concepts or let's say the, out of respect to them. And I have, this is what they're used to. They are not used to showing a picture of anyone throwing a ball into a basketball hoop. It doesn't really work for them. So when we talk about focus, we could talk about a machanayim game, for example, which is a ball game where you have to hit someone. It looks like an illumination type of a game, dodgeball. You have to hit someone with the ball. I said, now just have that aim with the ball and you have to focus on getting the person out. So there is a slight shift. The Spardim, like we had mentioned earlier, they are very proud of their tradition, understandably so. And they would rather say the word prayer instead of tefillah. So while we can't right now, if we had anyone that would be interested, certainly like in the, in the Hasidic world, the Yiddish speaking community came to us and said they will help with producing this version for them. If anybody from any other community would like it, we're here and ready to do it. But still this Sephardim, we have a group using the program, even with the word tefillah coming up often, with, along with prayer, we use the word prayer too, because you're reaching the soul. And that's what we have to do right now. We have to stay focused on what is our goal, and then everything else will fall into place. 
What are you doing or do you have a vision of doing something for older students, in particular high school, uh, which is, you know, again, when, when people really start to find themselves and become more nuanced and, and emotionally complex and at the same time are really starting to access and deal with life in the way that it's going to be, they're going to be dealing with it in the future in a much more developed sort of way. Uh, do you have designs on creating materials for them or is your hope just to have this grassroots movement at the elementary level and eventually those will be high school kids so you'll they'll age into it anyway right so it's a very good question and comment that you're you're saying because we have been asked that question very often we've been approached by a lot of high schools saying our students just don't want to pray they just don't want to dive and what can you do so if i were to stop focusing in on developing a program that builds a foundation and you constantly grow and build and reinforce from year to year, which is what we're doing now. It's not like a one-year type of a thing, one book. It's a system where by default, the children will start hearing, stop, think, feel, and experiencing connection through Tfila so that they grow with it. The program for high school students that don't have this background has to be different because you have to start really with the foundation and then you have to build upon it. When you have children that will be eventually in high school, those who had the stop, think, feel experience with Tfilaf, they will respond to all their issues or all their discoveries about themselves and about life in a very different way because Tfilaf is the answer to everything and anything. So if they feel its power and they could tap into it, and they have the tools. Some children will tap into it. You know, some very spiritual children will tap into it right away. And some of them will say, I'm not ready. But suddenly a life situation comes up or they have a need or they want to praise. They will have the tools that have been reinforced and they hear in their minds over and over again from a need to feel, a stop, think, feel. To start with schools that don't have any of this background in it means that I would have to stop doing what I'm doing now because it is a very different focus and it's a very, you're already, that's starting at ground zero. You're already dealing with children that absolutely have disinterest. The other way there, you're building interest and love and excitement, but here you're already having children that really don't want it. So it's, it's, it, it's, it would have to be very different and I'm not ready to chuck what we're doing at this point, but we have, interestingly enough, we have had high schools, we have had high schools in California, they use our Tfila lessons, which are five minute video lessons um, that talk about the philosophy, what is Avodah Shabalev, what is, how does speech have power? So give that over, they've used diaries in their classrooms to help them connect more to, to God, and it's working, it definitely is working. What has the OU done as a partner? What's it meant to you to be part of this accelerator program? Well, the first thing is like taking it out of the I need to feel a program is I feel part of a community and it's part of a community that I never really realized was out there of tremendously passionate Jews determined um, who, who want to build the Jewish community in a way that the impact will make us into better and proud Jews. And when I see what the OU is doing every single year, so many different types, so many different cohorts, different types of people, different types of ventures coming to the forefront and being developed, I really cannot get over what is, go- what is happening and how it's going to change so much in Cloud Yisrael because every venture has so much to offer. So I felt part of community. I felt like we're doing something big, something different, something that it's not one venture, but it's all of us together. It's something very special that the OU has given to me personally. And then for Anit Fila, it's putting us out there. They believe, they gave me the encouragement, which everybody needs, no matter how convinced you are and how passionate you are. They gave me resources. They gave me knowledge networking. Um, and it continues. It's not just that year. And when we had our classes where we learned what marketing is and social, uh, like things I never heard, heard of legalities and all these different kinds of models, but it really is something that now we're continuing in terms of we're having this podcast 
which is a result of my, I was in the second cohort and we help each other also. Um, someone from the third cohort called me and said, what should I do with this? Or could you recommend that? We have a WhatsApp group that continues. So it, it has been um, a tremendously positive experience. And I just wish that they could take on more and more ventures because of what it gives to the venture and to, to the Jewish community at large. Where do you want to go with Anitfila? You know, what's the next step? Is it just kind of continuing to build year after year and, and let the program develop one, you know, one year on top of the other? Or are there new vistas that you want to explore within this world of tefillah prayer education? Okay, so yes, we are going to continue, God willing, from year to year. But we do want to visit new vistas, for example, um, technology. We have been in touch with J.I. Tap. We've been in touch with people who can develop, which is very hard with technology because we're talking about emotions. What can we do so that the children can connect to God? We're using their emotions through technology. That is something that is, of, you know, something that we're very interested in. Also, um, we'd like to translate it. Like we have it in Yiddish. We have had requests for it to be in Spanish, for it to be in Russian. For We have a lot of, a lot of our books already in Ivrit Bevrit. Um, interestingly enough, in the um, in the English-speaking world, even when it comes to an Ivrit Bevrit speaking school, the majority still say for tefillah, it could be in English. Because once you speak, once you have the barrier of language where the children have to process, okay, what did the Rebbe just say? The Mora just said, la'amod, but I don't know what it means. So there's too, there are too many processes that's taking place that by the time they need to connect, they're exhausted. Their minds are tired. So it's interesting that is not really working for, it's not really used in the English speaking world, in the English speaking school, English speaking schools, yet they are Um, But we would like to translate it into other languages too. The opportunity presents itself. We, we hope to do that. And also. does all this require fundraising on your part? Or, you know, are you able to cover your costs through schools purchasing this from you and so forth? It actually does take fundraising. The printing costs are absolutely astronomical now. They have gone up very, very much. We also have a, a team working together, graphic designers, editors. Um, we have the printers. We have, a, you know, it just, it's just endless. But we do see that as we sell the workbooks that it does bring us in something substantial. So that helps, but it doesn't cover. We look for dedications. We look for sponsorships. Like now we have the Amida. And we're looking for people who will say, well, I want to, in praise of my child getting, um, becoming a chatan or a kala or getting engaged or a bar mitzvah, I would like to sponsor the bracha of praise. We have that. Um, it definitely takes fundraising. It's not the part that I like, but God wills it, it's going to be. And uh, we see how the OU uh, shined through for us, came through for us. So Baruch Hashem. You have to draw on your real estate background first. <laughs> exactly. Some yeah. of the the, uh, the for-profit uh, skills. Where could people learn more about this organization, your, your institution? Do you have an online presence? And where could people find out about it? Sure. We have an online presence and we have a website. And please visit us. We'd love to hear from you www.anitefila, remember, to feel ah, anitefila.org. So that's where you can, you can send me any kind of comments if you'd like, or you can email me direct at tnussbaum, N-U-S-B-A-U-M, tnussbaum at anitefila, A-N-I-T-E-F-F-I-L-A-H.org. And just, you know, I would be remiss since I have you on, I want to kind of come back to, to the beginning because you, you spoke about how you were a, a teacher who was tapped to go into education from a young age, right? When you basically almost as soon as you finished high school. And even though you yourself, you know, weren't that shining student, so to speak, but you fell in love with it and it became a career and, and not a career, a, a passion, a life calling for you. And you see how much you've done with this platform. There, there's a lot of discussion today in the broader Orthodox community about dearth of teachers and in particular, young women not going into education. A lot of the magazines are, have had, you know, sort of forums about it and, and so forth. I, I just 
felt it's not our specific topic, but I thought you might have something interesting to communicate about that because you're someone who took that calling and did so much with it. What do you think is the answer to, to get more young people, young women in particular, you know, invested in the field of, of Jewish education moving forward? I've been thinking about that a lot. My own children, my girls, I always said, go into the teaching field because you'll be off when your children are off. So that was always a very big plus. But the bottom line is, is that the salaries are low. And um, that that needs, if there's an increase, it will certainly be more desirable and more enticing for young women to go into it. But more than that, I have to tell you, as someone who did go through the system and Baruch Hashem brought up a family, gave birth to babies and brought up a family and made simchas, weddings, bar mitzvahs throughout. I have to tell you that for the women, we do need a certain, there needs to be a system. For example, daycare. If every school would have daycare so that the mothers, I know my daughter, she has quite a few kids. She has to drop off two children at babysitters before she goes into a school. And she's not teaching. She said she'll do pullouts. So she has to be at school by about nine, I think it is. But she's still, her husband is not available to help her getting the kids out. And she has to bundle up two kids, two separate stops, and then first get to school. You already can't catch your breath. I feel that if there's a PTA night or there's an orientation night, send a supper, send a certificate, a gift certificate where the mother at least knows that supper is coming in and I can go in like a mensch to the school when I need to. So I could speak to parents in a certain way. Um, The six weeks after having a baby, it just is not wise for a teacher to come back when she still has a six week old that's getting up during the night, plus very often, other younger children. So there needs to be certain sensitivities to what the woman has on her plate when she goes home. I remember I heard recently a story um, which was powerful about a Rebbe who a boy got married and he says this to someone else. He says this particular Rebbe, it's because of him that I'm religious today. So when the person heard the story, he eventually met up with this seventh grade Rebbe, I think it was. He said, wow, this guy said that you actually kept, he's from today because of you. What did you do? So he says, well, I called him every Friday to wish him a good Shabbos. So he says, really? The Rebbe says, I can't believe it. He never picked up the phone. So while it's a powerful story and it's true, and I give, I think it's, it's extremely extraordinary for the Rebbe to have kept this up for years and called every Friday and never got disappointed and just said, I'm, it doesn't matter if he doesn't pick up, I'm going to continue to call. A mother who comes home from school on an Erev Shabbos has all the white shirts need to be washed and cleaned, still has to make sure that the house is clean and ready for Shabbos. Is the food there? Are we having company? There may be a nursing baby or a baby that just needs to eat and be felt. The kids are coming in from school. And the mother has to greet the child. And there's a lot happening that they cannot make that call. So if there would be even a system where there's prep time for the women that they have, I know of a school in Muncie where he hires his rabbeim, it's amazing, for the entire day and the afternoon is the time to prepare, to call parents, to reach out to the kids. We need that set up into our system, entire day, so that when we go home, we're not overwhelmed and we feel we could tackle everything that's on our plate. So these are just a few ideas that I have. I really wish that people would understand it because then you'll have the girl saying, I can teach because I could do it. I could handle it. And with the salaries then being raised, that would be a help. I know also I've some schools, they'll say, okay, we're going to help the men, help them with their mortgage payment, you know, come up with some kind of down payment for their houses. Well, what about the women? There's no reason that the women should have it. If they had such incentives, it will keep the women in. It will, it will, and will bring them back. So those are just a few ideas. It's, and um, it is one of the most fulfilling things. If you're made out to be, if you could be a good teacher, a good Rebbe or Mora, there is nothing, no better seapook in the world than, than that, because you really see the change and the impact they're making on children. Fabulous. Well, it sounds like you have a, a robust column ready, uh, waiting to be written <laughs> for the local or the national magazine. So I look forward to reading that uh, when, you, when you get your thoughts to paper. And I thought it would, uh, something that I just was on my mind that I wanted to ask you about, but really the, I need to feel a institution and the, the whole movement is really ins- inspiring and powerful. Something I wish uh, that I had 
even my own children's schools, that would be, have been amazing to have them enjoy that and get that kind of education. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Tamara Nussbaum, Anita Tefila founder, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Rabbi. This has been Ari Koretsky on Jews You Should Know. Please visit us at JewsYouShouldKnow.com and subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you consume podcasts. Find us on social media at JewsYouShouldKnow. If you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. And you can do so by visiting Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash JewsYouShouldKnow. Finally, If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and introduce many more people to Jews you should know.